0: Hello, friends. A word of caution about today's episode. Our conversation briefly touches upon sexual assault. We don't get into the details, but if this is a sensitive subject for you, please feel free to skip it and we'll catch you next week. If you or someone you know needs to talk to someone, you can call 1 800 656 4673 and you'll be routed to a local sexual assault service provider in your area. A link also appears in the show notes.
1: To be du bi ro 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 Du bi to be ro 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 Du bi du bi ro 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 Bi Doopie doopie bum, bum, ba-da-da, ba-da-da, you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm
0: Brad Gullickson. And
1: each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, we are ditching Earth for the stars, and we're gorging ourselves on can slaw. Yum,
0: so mm-hmm. screamy and delicious. Yes
1: as we revel in parental bliss with Mark Grayson and Adam Eve, as experienced in the best superhero comic in the universe, Invincible, and we'll be applying mark Brackett's Permission to Feel, unlocking the power of emotions to help our kids, ourselves, and our society thrive to their relationship woes.
0: Yes, I think we're finally recovered from our trip to Seattle, Lisa. Are you still exhausted? Are you feeling that time zone slash daylight savings <laughs> time nightmare as much as you were the last week?
1: Yeah, it wrecked me for a bit, but I think I'm doing very much better.
0: One of the things we didn't mention on the last episode is that while we are at the Emerald City Comic Con... The Mary Sue named us one of the best podcasts about books alongside our pals at Bitches on Comics.
1: Yes, we've been listed once again. And once again, we share a list with LeVar Burton, which makes yeah. my inner PBS kid really smile.
0: So surreal. Uh, so our thanks to the Mary Sue and Samantha Puck for including us on such a radical list. Yes, We need to actually consider putting like a press packet together, oh, Lisa. yeah. Uh, we've now appeared on lists on the Mary Sue Screen Rant Book Riot Comic Speed Northern Virginia Magazine BuzzFeed Yeah Uh, You Know It's These Things Are So You Know They're Not Like they're not super important in life, but for us, they're also incredibly validating for what we do and the recognition means everything. So yes, no, it does actually mean everything.
1: But the idea of taking an email and consolidating all of our accolades to one place and then going like, excuse me, um, stranger, we're great. Yeah, we're great (laughs) and
0: these people said so.
1: Yes, that's right. I don't know, like, You got to do it, right? You got to promote yourself. Yeah, yeah. And we we can't go in with our usual sidestepping, like a self-deprecating, like, hey, our our podcast is okay. We'd really be flattered if you listened to it.
0: Yeah, we're not good (laughs) at promoting ourselves, but it is something you have to get good at if you want to continue doing this thing. Or if you want to grow your, dare I say it, brand, Lisa.
1: Oh, gross! grand, gross.
0: But the more we do that, the more opportunities like hosting screenings at the Alamo Draft yes. House come our way. We also wrapped up our second screening at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, Lone Wolf and Cub: Sword of Vengeance. Thank you to everyone who came out to that show. That is such an incredibly weird and wonderful and extremely violent movie, and everyone seems super engaged with
1: it. We were super stoked that anybody came out, like when when those tickets go on sale, we watched that Alamo page like yeah. two little hawks. Yeah,
0: with Howard the Duck, like the tickets started selling almost immediately, but with Lone Wolf and Cub, we didn't really sell those tickets until the day of, and that was nerve-wracking.
1: Yeah, but the people who came out were Lone Wolf and Cub fans. Yes. They had read the manga, they had watched all of the movies, Yes, and they really wanted to talk about it, and we had a great time hanging out in the lobby talking this weird, exploitative hyper-violent baby film.
0: I was really excited that Eric from Four Color Fantasies came out there with some comics to sell to the fans and we were not the only ones who bought comics. He did such a great job curating that long box that Mm -hmm. he brought with him and he was selling some of those first print, first comics of Lone Wolf and Cub. Like I love the digests that Dark Horse puts out but those single issues that came out in 1986 1987 those are fascinating to read because they're just so not like how manga are packaged today and yeah they sold really well at the show so yes Yes. selling comics that's the goal
1: and lucky for us our third screening is just like a home run. Like we have to put zero effort into selling these <laughs> tickets. These are tickets that will sell themselves. And
0: it's actually a third and fourth screening. It's a back-to-back showing of Superman the movie with Superman 2 the Richard Donner cut. Mm-hmm. We love these films. We've never seen Superman 2 on the big screen, and we certainly have never seen them on the big screen back-to-back. We have friends flying in from Atlanta to help us screen this movie. Sean Eastrich, who you've heard on our Superman the Movie episode, link in the show notes, the host of the Missing Frames podcast, is flying in to co-host with us along with Four Color Fantasies again. And I think this is the screening that you need to like get on a plane. You yeah. need to get in a car, travel to this.
1: Faster than a speeding bullet. You should leap over tall buildings and as many bounds as it takes.
0: Absolutely, I am so excited. They are screening on April 16th at four o'clock and 740 at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia. Tickets are on sale now. Get them now because they are selling quickly. We are going to have other virtual hosts helping us introduce these movies too, like we did with Chip Zadarski and Howard the Duck. This is one you do not want to miss. Get in a car, get in a plane, come on down.
1: And remember, if you're a patron, reach out to Brad and or Lisa and you get your ticket For free, but you have to ask us for it so that we can give it to you.
0: Right, don't just show up at the Alamo demanding a free ticket. you got to get it through us. We Mm -hmm. have to purchase your ticket for you. Yes. So email us and you will get in for free. And while we're on the subject of Winchester, Virginia and Four Color Fantasies, the Eisner-nominated comic book shop, we should take a moment and promote their upcoming charity sketch auction, that is done to help the literacy volunteers of Winchester, Virginia. Every year they collect these sketch covers, these original art pieces from folks like Daniel Warren Johnson and Scott Morse and Michael Cho, and they auction them off from their shop to benefit the literacy volunteers of Winchester, Virginia. It really is an incredible cause.
1: And an amazing deal. We have got Original art pieces from Jeff Lemire, Scott Morris, Ethan Young, and the prices were affordable to Brad and Lisa. You will never feel so guilty for doing something (laughs) so good. That
0: Jeff Lemire piece we got during the first year, and we got it for less than $60.
1: Do you think by promoting this amazing charitable event, we are undermining our ability to get another rad art piece? Is this going to blow up to the point where we can't afford it? Well, it
0: already has because last year or the year before is when they did the Daniel Warren Johnson and he did this Beautiful wrap around sketch of Beta Ray Bill. And of course we put a bid on it, but it ended up selling for $700 and we could not afford that. At the same time, that's not a terrible deal. Mm. Maybe we should pinch some pennies this year.
1: What we're saying is you're welcome to try and outbid us.
0: Please outbid us. This is such a wonderful charity. The Literacy Volunteers of Winchester do such a good job and Four Color Fantasies has raised so much money for them. It's truly inspiring.
1: Yes, and we should all support literacy while it's still legal.
0: Ooh, facts.
1: So to participate in this auction, you're going to want to follow Four Color Fantasies on Twitter and follow their Facebook page. Yes,
0: correct. And those links will be in the show notes. It launches at the end of March, That's so right. be on the lookout.
1: Yeah, get your get your uh, finances in order
0: now for the topic at hand, Mm -hmm. Mark and Eve from Invincible. They're our latest couple going into counseling sessions. We've put them in the waiting room. They're nervous, but excited just like us to finally cover this incredible comic from Robert Kirkman, Cory Walker, and Ryan Otley.
1: They popped in from space, outer space. Ooh. Uh, Mark just asked for our restroom code. Should I give it to him? No, those cans
0: lock. No, Mm -hmm. he's been chowing on them.
1: We, our toilet does not have a blender. No,
0: it does not. Lisa, how many listeners do you think we picked up from last week's conversation with Robert Kirkman?
1: Ooh, I I, I don't know, a few?
0: I hope so. A handful? I'm very curious. If you are new to our counseling sessions, please let us know. Email cbccpodcast at gmail.com. Or Twitter at CBCC Podcast. I would love to hear what your first experience with comic book couples counseling Ooh. has been like.
1: Yeah, a gaggle maybe?
0: A gaggle of them. A murder? Definitely a gaggle. Ooh, let's hopefully it's not a murder of new <laughs> listeners. <laughs> a clutch? What do you call. A gaggle, a murder, a collection of podcast listeners. Some potties.
1: (laughs) A dweeb. A dweeb of podcast
0: (laughs) listeners. No, they're not dweebs. Uh, They're the coolest people on the planet. Yeah,
1: that's what I'm saying. If you didn't listen to last week's episode for some reason, please check the show notes and click the link because chatting with Kirkman about Mark and Eve was the literal best. It was. It was a damn delight. And I love what he had to say about our relationships being comets with long tails.
0: Yeah, so good. And that you
1: have to acknowledge that your partner is constantly changing as a human being, and you have to constantly update your perception of them.
0: After struggling for so long, trying to figure out how to cover Mark and Eve over the course of Invincible's long-lasting run, it was kind of amazing to just hear Robert Kirkman go, oh, you should just jump to the end and cover the relationship after they've had a kid. Like, okay, that makes sense. Let's do this. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. Starting with Invincible Trade Paperback 22 Modern Family and covering their relationship from there right until the end with volume 25. The Invincible series is something that I love tremendously to the point where I find it difficult to watch the new Amazon animated series because I just love it so much and the comic book is just so pure in my mind, but also I know it's a series that Lisa has struggled to complete on multiple occasions. You love the first half of the series so much, Lisa, but every time you reach the monster girl and robot storyline, you peace out.
1: I do, I do. I just I love spending time with Mark and Eve and that long Um, side tour of somebody else's relationship that's kind of awkward and weird to me. It's just, it's a lot.
0: I mean, it is a big distraction from the main storyline or it appears so when you hit it and it's so different from everything else that's been going on beforehand. At the same time, it's crucial to what we're going to discuss here in Modern Family and beyond. Mm-hmm. So maybe you want to go back and read some of those issues again. I don't know. That's up to you or our listeners pressuring Lisa to do so.
1: I know that Lance from Comic Book Keepers has already weighed in. There you go. says that I should read. But it's going to take more than just a Lance to get me to read all of Invincible. How
0: many people does a it A dweeb.
1: It'll take a dweeb of podcast <laughs> okay. listeners to reach out and tell me that I need to read those I think it's gonna happen,
0: I think it's gonna happen. The first Invincible issue came out in January of 1993, so it's celebrating its 20th anniversary right now. It's wild to think it's been two decades because I remember the day I picked up the first issue was hooked immediately. At that point, I was a major Ultimate Spider-Man fan, what Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley were doing with that book felt absolutely revolutionary, retelling Peter Parker's origin with a 21st century energy, but I was not the only fan, Robert Kirkman was digging it too, and he wanted his turn on such a book, but there was no way Bendis was letting go of his baby at that time. With Invincible, Robert Kirkman basically got to do what he would have done on something like Ultimate Spider-Man, minus the handcuffs that Marvel Comics would have shackled upon him. Over at Image Comics, he and his collaborator, Cory Walker, could go wild. Folks get hurt, folks die, and they do so in the most exciting and horrifying ways. The stakes over Invincible were extreme. Cory Walker worked on the book with Kirkman for the first seven issues, but then Ryan Otley took over with issue number eight, although Walker would occasionally return to fill in. For me, it's when Otley jumps on board where Invincible really takes off, especially in terms of action. No one illustrates action and bloody, bloody, bloody violence like Ryan Otley. We're diving into the deep end with the Modern Family storyline. We're practically starting at the end of Invincible's epic 15 year run. Not the best place for new readers or new Invincible Amazon Prime watchers. I can't possibly catch you up on everything that's gone down in this series before this arc, but I'll give you the basics. Mark Grayson is a super-powered half-human, his mom is from Earth, his dad is from Viltrum. Dad used to pose as the all-powerful protector Omni-Man, but he was doing that as a ruse while he was secretly preparing our planet for an alien invasion from his people, the Viltrumites. Eventually, Mark and his pa went to war with each other, but that's cooled down by the time we get to Modern Family. Omni-Man, or Nolan to his friends, discovered that he'd accidentally fallen in love with the Earthlings he had planned to dominate mostly through all the excellent sex he was having with Mark's mom. (laughs) Nolan has recently defeated the Viltrum Regent Throg and regained rule over his people even though they're on the verge of extinction. Mark and his longtime on-again, off-again girlfriend, Samantha Eve Wilkins, aka Adam Eve, are together forever, and they've just had their first child. The biggest threat to their lives is the one-time friend and teammate robot now going by the name Rex, after he cloned a new body from Adam Eve's former boyfriend, Rex Rexplode. And after spending lifetimes with Monster Girl in the Flaxen Dimension, Robot returned to Earth, determined to rule the planet with an iron fist and total technological control. And yeah, he's done it, he's accomplished this mission, and on the surface everything looks hunky-dory to the average human, But Mark and Eve, know they're being secretly ruled by a tyrant. So yeah, dark times, or as we call them in Invincible, just another Tuesday. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of other characters and plot points we'll bump into in the main body of our counseling session, but we'll just address those as we hit them. Right now, we put Mark and Eve, they're in their waiting room, not using the toilet. Nope. Certainly not Mark. And we gotta get to our love expert. Who's going to be helping us counsel Mark and Eve on this week's episode and for the remaining Invincible episodes, Lisa.
1: Yes. Um, For our first-time listeners, Brad and I are not counselors. We have no idea what we're doing.
0: Not experts ourselves in any way. We're
1: only experts in loving each other. So to help our fictional patients, we enlist a real-life love expert through the use of a self-help book. And I'm actually really excited about the love expert we've selected for Mark and Eve as they're trying to figure out how to refocus their powers to become super parents to their little one. Our love expert is Mark Brackett, Ph.D., PhD, a professor at the Yale Child Study Center and the founding director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. I picked this book based on the title as it appears on Amazon, which is Permission to Feel, Unlocking the Power of Emotions to Help Our Kids, Ourselves, and Our Society Thrive, Because I was like, perfect, that sounds exactly like a list of Mark and Eve's priorities. But then I buy the book for Kindle and weirdly the title is different. It's Permission to Feel, The Power of Emotional Intelligence to Achieve Wellbeing and Success, which I find to be like a way douchier title.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely different.
1: The second title sounds like, I've done bench presses of my sadness, so now my emotions are getting shredded while I'm making money. (laughs) Having read the prologue and part one of Permission to Feel, the Amazon title is is the far more accurate one. Oh, my goodness. Yes, Dr. Brackett's research has pinpointed strategies for individuals to make their emotions work for them in, I guess, a life hacky sort of way. But his work and the efforts of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence have their sights set way higher than that. The goal of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence is to, quote, "...use the power of emotions to create a healthier and more equitable, innovative, and compassionate society." Reading this copy, I am having the hardest time seeing Yale Center for Emotional <laughs> Intelligence. Can I just call it Yeki? Yes. <laughs> Yeki is an answer to what Dr. Brackett sees as a cultural crisis. In short, we've been sucking it up and shaking it off for <laughs> generations, and it's not working. Dr. B offers some statistics as evidence. According to a 2018 Gallup poll, 50% of employees are unengaged at work and 13% of them are miserable. The 2019 World Happiness Report indicates that negative feelings such as worry, sadness, and anger are up 27%. Anxiety disorders affect 25% of children from the ages of 13 to 18 and depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. We're not happy. Our kids are not happy. Our society is not happy and that's not going to fix itself. According to Dr. Brackett, this crisis stems from a major cultural misconception, that success is something we achieve despite our emotions. We tend to see our emotions as something that, if put aside, we could only make rational decisions. Mm. We would work at peak productivity, and we would treat everyone completely fairly. Through his research and the research of Yeki, Dr. Brackett has found that it is not only impossible to live independent of our emotions, But our greatest success, by any measure, can be found by living in concert with our emotions. Another misconception about our emotions is that interpreting them is somehow intuitive. Like, since they're happening inside you, you should somehow know exactly what to do with them. Dr. Brackett's research has found that emotional intelligence can be developed through knowledge and skill building. And he's even gone so far as to develop an evidence-based systematic curriculum for social and emotional learning called RULER, which has been changing lives at more than 2,000 pre-K through high schools in the United States and internationally. We'll be getting into what RULER is and how it works with Mark and Eve in our upcoming sessions. But first, I think we need to start by helping them find their permission to feel. I think we need to give them permission, like you and I, Mm. of course. But I think they really have to give each other permission and themselves permission. So what might permission to feel look like? One, they need to recognize that not feeling is not working. The emotions that we're trying to put on the back burner are just expressing themselves in other ways. Two, they need to accept that their emotions are already running the show. Yeah. The chapter on this is absolutely fascinating and maybe we'll be able to cover it in detail in the future, but our emotions are already running our lives and biasing us.
0: Sure, of course, they choose
1: yes. what has our attention, what we learn, what kind of decisions we make, our relationships with people, so we might as well be mindful about what emotions are doing so that we can make the most informed decision. Three, they need to become what Dr. Brackett calls emotion scientists, which is an impartial observer of emotions. When an emotion occurs, it should be approached with genuine curiosity and with the objective of understanding. You
0: have to step outside of yourself sometimes. Right. You know, that's something we've discussed previously on this podcast when like, especially with like heated emotions, when those heated emotions hit, like you have to hit the brakes and just step aside and right. just like examine. And that is so hard, but you can do it with practice.
1: Right, right. And that relates directly to number four which is to avoid being emotion judges. So the trap that Brad and I get into all of the time (laughs) is when we start expressing our emotions, the other person just goes, uh, does a list of how those emotions are valid, or not valid, or rational and not rational. an emotion judge tries to sort emotions by value like right or wrong, rational or irrational, fair or unfair, and that creates a super unsafe environment to express your emotions <laughs> because not only not only do you have to express your emotions, you also have to
0: defend, defend why you're them. feeling that way. Right, yeah. which is
1: which All is not good. Yeah, it's not fair. Once they feel safe to really feel and explore their emotions, we need to give them some basic vocabulary to help them in their goal to be emotion scientists and to break down their emotional state into its component parts. Okay. We think of emotions as like these ineffable, like intangible things, and we use a lot of words interchangeably. So by establishing this vocabulary, we can speak more specifically about like what they're doing. So so like, for example, we have to start by defining what an emotion is, according okay. to Dr. Brackett. An emotion arises from an appraisal of internal or external stimulus. So it's something that happens like in an instant. So, like, you see something, you hear something, you remember something, and the emotion occurs. Sure. Generally, emotions are short lived. So, think like you can't be surprised for an hour. Like, you're surprised for a couple moments and then it passes. And it also, Often includes physiological responses like a gasp, a blush, chills, increased heart rate, a release of neurochemicals, automatic facial expressions and mm-hmm. gestures, et cetera. So, like, these are really easy to see and invincible, these little, like, yeah. facial expressions. Walker
0: and Otley do emotions well.
1: Super expressive. A feeling is when you have an internal response to an emotion. So, you have that emotion, it provokes a feeling. And feelings tend to be, like, motivational or relational. So, like, you get embarrassed, that's the emotion, and then you feel vulnerable, Mm, right? Which is a relational thing. You feel uh, vulnerable to other people. totally. Or you get surprised, like it's your surprise party, and then you feel loved, right? Or you... You get sad, and then you feel hopeless. So hopeless is an example of, like, motivational. Got it. Right? A mood is more diffuse and less intense than an emotion or a feeling. They can be the aftermath of an emotion. Like, oh, I've been sad for a couple of days, and now I'm just feeling generally, like, meh. Like, we often call them funks. Yeah, like, yeah, ugh, yeah. I'm in a funk today. Yeah.
0: Gotta blow that stink off. That's
1: right. And we often don't know what causes that, like our mood but it it affects our emotional responses. So if you're in a funk, you're going to be your your negative emotions are going to be like on a hair trigger. Got it. Where if you're in like an amazing mood and, and a really ap- happy open mood, you might be more likely to take risks or something or or be less sensitive. Sure. It's not unusual to feel more than one emotion at a time. And we can even feel what Dr. Brackett calls meta emotions, which is an emotion you have about having an emotion, which is another trap that Brad and Lisa get stuck in.
0: I love the term meta emotion. That is so good. I feel that so hard. Can
1: you give us like an example from your life of when you felt a meta of emotion?
0: Oh, I mean, you know, you'll get. Um, mad, right? Uh, you know, I'll get mad at Lisa for something she said or did
1: because <laughs> I'm insufferable. Uh, and then
0: I will feel bad or guilty for feeling mad, right? Right, or I'll or, or I'll get sad. And then I'll feel guilty for feeling sad. Meta right. emotions, I, I, that's a That's a game changing term there. Yeah, I love that Yeah, same for
1: me. And I love that idea of going like, I don't need to waste energy on this other emotion now that I have a name for it. Yes, or yes. I, or I could even say like, hey, I'm feeling an, a meta emotion right now. Yes,
0: yeah. I, I think that's gonna be really useful for Brad specifically.
1: So I think going into session with Mark and Eve, we should be trying to use these terms to go like, oh, I see that Mark is in a mood right now. Or um, or even like, ooh, here's where the emotion is triggered and then here's where we see the feeling kind of developing. Because I think that if we encourage Mark and Eve to kind of look at the anatomy of their emotions in that way, it'll help get them outside of themselves. So when it's time to start going like, what do we do about these emotions? How do we use these emotions to help build a more happy, productive life? Like, like we know, like, We just need to get them comfortable talking about their emotions. I
0: think we're going to find many examples of meta-emotions in Modern Family. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'm
0: really looking forward to this. But before we can get into session with Mark and Eve, we got to do some words of affirmation. No, no, no.
1: a little little uneven in my vibrato. (laughs) I didn't know where I was gonna cut off. You just
0: blew out everyone's car speakers. (laughs) Uh, For first time listeners, we should explain that the words of affirmation are our way to give back to our new and upgrading Patreon subscribers. We curate and use these ourselves and we're more than happy to pass them on to you. Recently, we were in Seattle for the Emerald City Comic-Con, and while we were there, we decided to pay our respects to one of our favorite icons, Bruce Lee, who's buried next to his son, Brandon Lee, at the Lakeview Cemetery. So for this week's words of affirmations, we're quoting him using some entries taken from his journals, which you can read through the Bruce Lee Foundation. Yes, link in the show notes.
1: Mm, You're welcome.
0: And while these words of affirmation are dedicated to these specific patrons, any listener can take these words and apply them to their life.
1: We often, Brad and I often go to Bruce Lee for those words of affirmation, for that inspiration, because he was so purposeful in everything that he did.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would encourage everyone to check out the documentary "Be Water." If all you know about Bruce Lee is into the Dragon and Game of Death, or you know whatever reference in a Kill Bill film,
1: the idea of "Be Water," the the inspiration for the title. I, I have folded into my being I I aim every day to be warm. I in.
0: honestly think we could use Bruce Lee as a relationship expert in a future episode yes, yeah yes. totally so be on the lookout for that uh, but let's center our mind Lisa and get into a words of affirmation receiving kind of place
1: yes let's let's start with a deep cleansing breath Ah. <sighs>
0: Lance from Comic Book Keepers. You know that you have the ability to achieve the object of your definite purpose in life. Therefore, you demand of yourself persistent, continuous action toward its attainment, and you here and now promise to render such action.
1: William Mercier, Jr. Realizing that your emotions are both positive and negative you will form daily habits which will encourage the development of the positive emotions and aid you in converting the negative emotions into some form of useful action.
0: Jack Miller Recognizing the need for sound plans and ideas for the attainment of your desires, you will develop your imagination by calling upon it daily for help in the formation of your plans.
1: Vactor. Recognizing the value of an alert memory, you will encourage yours to become alert by taking care to impress it clearly with all thoughts you wish to recall, and by associating those thoughts with related subjects which you may call to mind frequently. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Some of those sentences are really trippy, uppy. <laughs> uh,
0: but so good. I like. I think those affirmations speak to this reoccurring idea that we've been exploring: that everything is a practice, yes. right? Like talking about stepping outside and recognizing those meta emotions. That requires work. Mm-hmm. You need to practice it. It won't happen immediately every time. Nirvana is not a light switch. It's a life process Mm,
1: yeah and I think that Bruce Lee would absolutely agree with Dr. Brackett and this idea that like we're wasting our energy trying to work contrary to our emotions like those meta emotions arise from us going like oh I shouldn't feel that I can't use that I don't have time for that
0: we're missing all that heavenly glory as we point to the moon Mm -hmm. and we're just seeing our big digit right
1: yeah, another thing that Bruce Lee does with these particular affirmations is he uses that word attainment rather than like achievement. And I love that because like it it really emphasizes that you worked to reach out for that thing rather than you deserve the thing because you got there. It's like it's like a subtle difference, but like I really, yeah. it just, really is speaking to me right just now. Just
0: talking about Bruce Lee as a love expert, a life expert gets me excited for future episodes. Yeah. So we're definitely going to bring Bruce Lee back. S- to S- Suggest, suggest
1: yeah. some um, perfect couples? couples to go with that. Yeah,
0: let's start thinking about it. Uh, but yes, this week, the comic we're reading is Invincible and we're checking out issues 115 through 120 reprinted in the 21st trade paperback called Modern Family, published by Image Comics through the Skybound Inter- Entertainment imprint between September 2014 and May 2015. The comic was written by Robert Kirkman, penciled by Ryan Otley, inked by Cliff Rathburn and Ryan Otley, colored by Jean Francis Beaulieu, and lettered by Russ Wooten. Here's the basic plot synopsis taken off the back of the book Invincible and Adam Eve set off on an adventure of a lifetime, parenthood. They've taken to the stars and left their troubles on Earth behind them. As things take a drastic turn for our heroes, you'll find yourself asking, is this book still about
1: superheroes? I feel compelled to say something like, all parents are superheroes, (laughs) but I feel like they get enough credit already, Uh, don't you think?
0: Yes, as child-free individuals, (laughs) we definitely feel that way. Hey,
1: we're saving the planet, you're welcome.
0: (laughs) You know, we were not the only ones to talk to Robert Kirkman the other day. He did a round of interviews back in January with a lot of folks, and in one of those interviews, talking to our Twitter pal, Oliver Sawa for Polygon, and yes, there's a Link in the show notes to that article. Kirkman talked about why Invincible has lasted as long as it has. And he said that he felt his book never tried to be cooler than the genre. It never trashed the concept of superheroes. It was always his vessel for celebrating superhero fiction. And I think that's something interesting to think about as we work our way through these final, very rough chapters in the Invincible storyline, Lisa. Mm.
1: Yeah, like uh, though I do feel like there's a little there's some light ribbing in the black cat comics scene that's yeah, coming. Out. I
0: would say that there is a playful joshing. Mm, it's ribbed it's, for
1: our pleasure. It, it is.
0: <laughs> it's ribbed for our pleasure. It never feels like it's talking down to the genre. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's coming from a place of love, and that is why I like Invincible so much. I think that's a big factor. Yeah. And if you look at this first issue of the Modern Family storyline, it's basically just one long extended fight sequence between Battle Beast and Throg. Yes, it doesn't have much to do with our Mark and Eve conversation. So I don't want to spend too much time in it, but I do think it speaks to what I was just saying about Kirkman and company having fun with the tropes Mm. of the genre. And I would love to see this fight done in the animated series. I don't want to talk too much about the animated series in this episode, because that's not why we're here. But can you imagine them doing the Battle Beast versus Throg fight over, not the entire course of an issue, or as it is here, the entire course of a trade paperback, but over the entire course of a season?
1: Mm, I love that idea. And for me, like, what this ongoing but chopped up to us battle means for Mark and Eve is kind of like like eat, while you are processing your personal stuff, mm-hmm. while you are processing your emotions, while you are deepening your relationship, while you are trying to connect with your partner, the rest of the world is still happening. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think sometimes that's a huge hurdle for us to actually do the emotional work because we go like, okay, if we put our um, our attention on something that is so like personal and so extremely local, we are missing out or we are um, getting behind in all of these other things.
0: Yeah, Mark is so focused and Eve is so focused in what is going on with Robot on Earth He doesn't even realize that the greater war, the Viltrumite War, is not over. Throg is still out there. And what this issue does, the first issue in Modern Family does, it ends on this cliffhanger where you learn that Throg has been with the Thraxan women and he is producing offspring one after the other. He is going to have an army of babies at his disposal. It's going to be hell. But... You're too worried about Earth right now. You're so focused on robot. That's not the big battle.
1: Should we now also mention that Mark's brother, Oliver, is half-brother. Ha- yeah, is half Thraxon.
0: Yes, yeah, because Omni-Man got with a Thraxon lady and had a, a, a son. And there's some tension there between Mark, or there was tension there between Mark and Oliver, but it seems to have been worked out by the time that they get together here uh, in this trade paperback. It's also important to understand that the Thraxans' lifespan is very brief. They're insect people, so many Thraxans exist in the lifespan of a human or a Viltramite. And I do like this idea that Kirkman explored with Oliver and Omni-Man of like, what is it like to be a parent of a child who ages rapidly and then also then have a, a half brother, but he uses that as a way to set up this army threat, this army of babies threat that Throg is producing. Because these are babies now, but soon they're gonna be an armada.
1: Chapter two opens with a primo example of Mark being in a mood. <laughs> he is in a definite funk. And that funk is because he's hanging out with his old friend and roommate, Will, and his husband slash boyfriend, I don't know what their I relationship I think boyfriend, yeah. His boyfriend, Rick. And they are really enjoying the turn Earth has taken after the major battle, things seem to be looking, going on the up and up.
0: It's actually a great way to like recap what has recently gone down in Invincible with these three pages with William, just going like, yeah, no, Earth is really at a turning point. I think everything is turning up Millhouse, I love this. And there are Mark and Eve listening to this cheery recap going like, you don't understand, it's a hellscape, you're being controlled by this psychotic dictator, but I can't tell you because if I tell you I'll start a war and we'll just keep the cycle of violence going,
1: no, this is the best thing to do.
0: Ah!
1: What's ridiculous is that Rex would have never won an election running with the platforms that Will is pointing out. He's like, oh man, everything has been great. The military, way smaller because there's no international wars, hey, there's no there's no more student loans because everybody gets to go to college for free. Universal health care. the know? only
0: way we're getting universal health care in America is if robot takes over.
1: <laughs> we would never pay for it.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. will is such a Bernie bro,
1: oh, indeed. But now, Of course, everybody has those things and they're stoked. They're like, yes.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, except for Mark and Eve and all their Guardians of the Globe friends.
1: Because they know down the line, this is coming at the cost of their freedom because they're living underneath a tyrant. So of course they're withholding their true emotions from their friend and it's causing this like, simmering discomfort which is coming across as a mood or being in a funk. Some of the signs are, they're with their friends, they should be happy but they are feeling extra sensitive. So they're reacting emotionally incongruous to the situation. And then like when he's like, "Hey guys, what's going on? Do you know something that I don't know?" They just kind of push it under the rug and go like, "Oh, we're just tired, you know, new parents, it's it's really rough." Also, another thing that's hanging over their heads is that they've been living with Eve's parents. Yeah. And that's a very emotionally toxic situation.
0: The scene that we get in this issue where Eve attempts to breastfeed in front of her father and her dad, very much not a Bernie bro, definitely right wing, flips out like, no daughter of mine's gonna whip her boob out at the dining room table. And it just seems like a total... (laughs) You know, they're living in a nightmare and it's a nightmare within a nightmare.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of toxic behavior happening at this kitchen table. For one, they have yet to name their child because they want to wait until a name comes to them that seems really suited. They don't wanna force some inappropriate nomenclature because yes. of because of Eve and she never liked her first name, Samantha.
0: Right, right, right. I think you also see a lot of meta emotions going on mm. there. Now that I have this term in my head, Lisa, I love it. I'm gonna apply it immediately. But that scene earlier between Will, Rick, Eve, and Mark, the meta emotions there of like this guilt, you can read it on their faces. They feel guilty for feeling bad that 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 they know what's going on. There is like shame mixed in with that anger. There's guilt mixed in with that shame.
1: And Will's known Mark a very long time. He can see clearly that Mark is not acting like himself. Mark is withholding something because he, he does ask directly like, do you know something about the situation we're in right now yeah. that I don't know that me and Rick should know perhaps. And, like, I think that that's part of what Mark is struggling with because I think that he knows that if he explained the situation to Will, he would understand and be horrified. And he doesn't want to rain on Will's good time, you know? So I think it's that we see throughout this issue. Mark going like, yeah, I know that ultimately this is going to be bad, but things are fine now, and can we not just enjoy the fine <laughs> well, now? Well, what he's
0: struggling with is there's the morality of it, and then there's the the reality of mm-hmm. it, right? And so, morally, he knows that Robot got this through nefarious, evil, non-democratic ways, right. uh, through a lot of bloodshed, uh, but also he recognizes the joy that Will is experiencing and he agrees. He loves no universal or he loves universal hair care, health care, no student loads. You know, that, that's all good stuff. We, we as a planet deserve it. But do we deserve it under these circumstances? Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of this, we have the immortal who's coming to Mark and saying, like, this is wrong. Right. And Mark is now trying to justify inaction. So Mark wants to act, but is also falling into this place where he thinks that acting might not be the right thing to do. The immortal saying, no, we're heroes. That's what we have to do. Mark's a new father. Mm-hmm. Like, he is such this ball of confusion
1: yeah and i think that he's also really struggling with his priorities his new priorities as a parent going like if i decide to take down rex with immortal that means i'm putting myself in danger again i could get killed my wife has already lost her leg my wife could get killed The situation could actually end up worse, which I think is something that's not talked about enough, where it's just like, we could lose again and lose worse. Right. So what Mark ultimately decides to do is to excise himself out of the situation. He knows, like, in my heart, I know my priorities. If I stay, then I'm going to have to fight Rex.
0: So my question to you is, is that the right move? Did Mark and Eve act correctly In leaving the planet. We know because we've read fiction before (laughs) that he is going to be pulled back into this situation. You don't know necessarily exactly how that's going to happen, but you could probably sense it. But is the instinct to leave Earth and just deal with his family stuff off world the right move?
1: That's what I find so intriguing about this story yeah, and about Mark in particular is that I don't think that he is wrong to take that gamble and go like, hey, what if we try doing something differently? I'm not happy the way that I am now. Let's try doing something differently and see how that works out. And that's life, right? You yeah. just have to like he knew that he and was again, in Again,
0: he is a new father with Eve. This is their family. It's so fresh and precious. He, knew- he has to protect it. He has to put priority behind that, right?
1: He knew he was in a in a situation where he had to make a choice. Yeah. And he made a choice and it doesn't work out, but you know, like, but that's life.
0: On the other side of the guardians of the globe, we have a mortal and replicate and they have a family. Mm-hmm. And a, from a mortal's perspective, he's like, you know, he has all the same things that Mark does, but he has a righteousness that Mark is rejected.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He has a different set of principles. And I
0: don't know who I would be in this scenario or who I'd even want to be in this scenario. But and that's like,
1: the great thing about fiction. We have the opportunity yeah. to be and do both. Yeah. And
0: it, I mean, and it's such an awesome setup by Kirkman and company.
1: Yeah. I think Mark describes best the conflict that he's feeling with Immortal directly following the funerals of all of the other Guardians of the Globe members who lost their lives in that huge battle. What he tells Immortal is that, like, I agree with you on principle, but. Robot isn't entirely a bad person. We have a pre-existing relationship with him, and this is not something that Rex is doing out of emotion. He, is, he has that this robot. This Exactly, so here's, here's the quote. He says, he's not taking over because of evil or an intent to control or to do wrong. He's a genius, might be the smartest person on earth, and as much as I hate it, what it comes down to is cold, hard intellect. Right. So he's leaning towards that. Hey, if we can excise emotions from our decision making, if we make decisions that are not self serving, then we'll live in this utopia where everybody is treating each other fairly. But then Immortal comes back with uh, the world isn't logical, Mark. Also, trust me, this may be nice now, but down the road, what what happens when Rex goes like, it's not making sense spending all of our resources on the elderly because the elderly are going to die. We should just euthanize the elderly. Like when it when we take emotions and compassion and even selfishness out of our decisions, we start going to some really ugly places. Evil
0: places. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I totally understand where Mark is coming from I uh definitely believe in what Immortal is saying but again like it's hard to separate h- my knowledge of how fiction works from how I would actually behave in this situation. And
1: I think also um Immortal and Mark have such different perspectives on a timeline level where True. Where Immortal has lived a very long time. Yeah, it's in he, the name. Odds are he's been in this uh, similar situations to this before. Yeah.
0: And, and we know he's right. Like, that's what I'm saying, like, with the narrative thing. Like, yeah. Narratively, you know, dramatically, we know this is how it's going to go. Immortal is correct.
1: Right, right. But Mark says, I can't make. I can't make this decision based on what I know right now. Yeah, so I can't do out. this unless it's I know it's one hundred percent necessary because I don't want to risk my child and my wife's safety again. That's when immortal like kicks below the belt and goes like, "Hey, I'm putting my I'm putting my Kate at risk. I'm putting the mother of my children at risk, and I think that she would be pretty pissed off if I knew that I was using her as an excuse to not do what was <laughs> right." Oh man, what a guilt trip. So I'm sure that. Like, this is another situation with meta-emotions where, like, um, Mark is feeling defensive and he's feeling angry about being made to be put in this defensive place. Actually, I guess defensive is technically a feeling. Defensive is a feeling. The emotion is anger, perhaps. Frustration. Yeah, but, like, all of this is relatable. But
0: what's great about Mark's situation, he's lucky that he has Eve there, so that the two of them can talk it out. Like but Mark is no longer alone.
1: Mark doesn't talk to her until he's already made a decision.
0: that well, Yeah, you're right. Which is something dudes do. That's <laughs> something that Brad's do. Yeah, where
1: it like he's processing all of this alone. And then
0: he makes his case to Eve.
1: Right. So let's skip right forward to that yeah. scene. Mark and Eve are at Eve's parents' house. And they have... Little baby on the blanket, and it should be at this really sweet moment of this tiny new family. And Eve is kind of like musing about baby names oh, is she Hannah? Is she Annabelle? And she notices that Mark isn't paying attention, he is completely spaced out. So, one of the points from permission to feel is that when you're scared. The thing you're scared of is going to receive all of the attention. So even though he wants to prioritize being with his wife and being with his child, he can't because he's scared about having to make the decision of whether he is going to fight Rex or not. And when she asks if he's okay, his like, knee-jerk reaction is to say, I'm fine, which is not true, right? And she finally pries him into, hey, what's going on? And then he finally gives her this entire speech of like, we're in this situation, it doesn't feel right, and I know myself, I know that if I'm here, I'm going to have to fight Rex, and I'm a father now, and I wanna be a father, so we're just going to have to leave, and what do you think of the decision I've just made for us, you know? I think that independently, Eve has been going through the same situation, and we see that in the upcoming issue, where she's also been at this kind of precipice of her principles and the way that she wants to live the rest of her life. And I think that it ultimately, that they ultimately do something that they both agree upon. But I don't think that this is the cleanest way to go about making a huge decision like we should leave the planet.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's not a conversation. And there's this other element to that bit where Mark doesn't necessarily threaten Eve, but he does put a threat of danger out Mm -hmm. there. He says, you know, if we stay, I am going to have to do something about it. And in doing something about it, I will be inviting violence into our home. And that's, that is a little manipulative. It
1: it has a tinge of um, uh, ultimatum to it. I also wouldn't say that this is like a glaringly toxic situation that they're in either. I think that- they just haven't really like and and we haven't either really practiced okay well when is the best time to bring up this big emotional thing when you're also trying to be a parent be the child of your parents be a good husband you know be a superhero like it's just a lot like mark is going through so much
0: mark and eve are still a new relationship mm-hmm. And now they're new parents, and they haven't quite figured out how to communicate with each other.
1: And they have not had the best examples ever in their upbringing. Yes, that's true. So we saw earlier in this very issue the dynamic between Mark, uh, the dynamic between Eve and her parents, where her parents turn. Everything into a do you have a problem with me conversation? Yes. You haven't named your child yet. Do you not want me to know the name of my grandchild? You're cheating me out of this relationship. You're cheating me out of this decision. Oh, you're going to breastfeed at the table. Right. Are you rejecting the rules of decency I taught you in yes. living in my house? Like, so. And like, then
0: on Mark's side, mm-hmm. you know, he thought way back when, back in issue one of Invincible, that he had this ideal relationship with his mom and father and then he finds out that his father is this alien dominator mm-hmm. and now they've kind of like it's it's hard to imagine how you could ever make amends after something that like what happened between Mark and his dad initially but they've done it and in this issue, Mark goes and visits his dad on the last remaining warship of the Viltrum Empire to like work out what's going on in his heads. And, you know, there there is um, a kindness there that was missing for a period because, I, again, the dad was a maniac, but I, I think maybe still is a maniac.
1: <laughs> There's a lot that is hashtag goals about Nolan and Deb's relationship, Mark's parents and they have yes gone towards no. they have gone towards this um they've been making progress towards like this idea of like radical honesty they have hidden so much from each other they've hidden so much from their son they've hidden so much about their past and so now like um and so now they just believe in coming clean and breaking down barriers but Nolan's past is so ghastly. Yes. You know yes. And, and the thing is just because you now like and Nolan understands this, just because now he understands that he has to be a better person, that doesn't mean that it's everybody else's job to be okay with that right away. And it doesn't mean necessarily that Nolan is not going to continue to make mistakes, but I do think he is putting real effort into making amends. Yes,
0: I mean the path to healing for Nolan is him recognizing how he actually fell in love with Deb and Mark. Mm -hmm. That, you know, they are not the pets he once saw them as, that they are truly his loved ones. Yeah. And him coming to terms with that love is what has resealed the bond between all three of them, Deb, Mark, and Nolan. Uh, of, Of course, we look at it from our small human terms and we go like, there's no way I could ever forgive what Nolan did. But I think we just have to look at this as a superhero story. And within superhero stories, everything's extreme. So you take an extreme event like that to be a metaphor for other extreme events that you have in your life. And to help you in those healing ways. Am I making sense there? You
1: are making sense. Yeah. You are making sense. Like
0: superhero stories are a metaphor. They're not a reality. Right. So we too can forgive Nolan for what he's done. Yeah. Because we recognize the...
1: The power of radical forgiveness. Yes.
0: Yes. 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 Thank you. Yeah. It's a lot to get through. This comic is a lot.
1: uh, Yeah. like, And this is another situation where I would go like... Uh, I think Mark is completely entitled to never speak to his father again. I think that that's a completely valid choice. Sure. I think he could also make the choice to never speak to his mother again. 100% valid. He, he is making the choice to do something different and it and that and that has its challenges. That has its challenges. But I don't think that there's a I don't think it's ever a 100% bad I don't know. Like forgiveness is so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Because you especially never, in these terms. Especially in these terms where you're like, I'm not condoning genocide. <laughs> like,
0: that's, that's what we're saying. But like, Brad w- and Lisa are against genocide, but we're also here for healing between Mark and his father. I
1: would uh, like. I love the idea of being able to forgive a genocider. <laughs> I love that
0: idea. (laughs) I want to go back to something you said regarding the conversation between Mark and Eve about Mark hiding things from Eve, right? Right. They are learning to communicate for the first time as a couple and for the first time as parents. But Mark is not only just like hiding his feelings regarding what's going on with Robot and this complicated decision that he is trying to make for both him and his daughter and his wife or a partner, mm-hmm. Uh, but he is also suffering from the trauma of the experience that he had with Anissa, the Viltrumite who raped him a few issues back. And he cannot talk about that with anyone. Right, And we see Anissa at the, at the moon base, the warship, the Viltrum warship. And she is in league with his father still. Right. And, he cannot handle her being present. He attacks her and then lets her go and retreats. But that's all, I mean, that's another thing that's going on in this volume that has to be addressed at some point for this relationship between Eve and Mark to continue.
1: It's tremendously complicated and Mark has complicated feelings about it.
0: And I have complicated feelings about how that whole... Bit was executed in this book. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure how I feel about the assault on Mark and how Kirkman and team executed it. It's uh, a
1: really it's a really perilous and sensitive subject. yeah. Um, but I do think the process of healing between Mark and Eve people would find extremely relatable. yeah where like ghastly and confusing things happen and you have to process and move on and that's that's one of the things your partner is there for
0: yeah moving on is the point of life mm. you know you just keep on taking one step after another but to take a step requires a lot of aid and a lot of aid from a lot of people
1: maybe not the phrase move on because we don't mean move on Emotionally, I like I mean,
0: continue.
1: Yeah, yeah, but not in like it's not with like a tinge of like suck it up. Like it's not to suck it up. It's to like move forward, move bigger, keep growing. You know, and the only way we can keep growing and keep living and keep feeling is by processing those emotions. Don't don't you think?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, that yes.
1: So that's the exact opposite that Mark is doing by leaving the planet then, because it is he he's leaving yes because of rex and his principles and his him wanting to refocus his energy towards being a father but also he wants to get out of the circle that anissa moves in which means getting away from his dad and he doesn't want to explain to his dad why Anissa is so triggering for him. Yeah,
0: I think there is uh, a reality where him leaving the planet could be both the you know, a smart decision right. for his family, protecting his family and also a healing decision, but it's not a healing decision here in this comic because he is not addressing all these wounds with his partner.
1: And we know that um if we take our emotions and we put them on the back burner, they're just going to boil over and ruin everything. Yeah,
0: and so it is kind of interesting. So he's taking his emotions, putting them on the back burner, and he's taking the robot situation and putting it on the back burner. He's putting both on the back burner.
1: And he thinks that he is sparing Eve the discomfort and the torment and the shame of knowing that her husband was raped
0: I think that's what he would say, but we know what he's actually sparing is his own feelings right but right? I,
1: I think like when he when Eve asks him like so there's this growing tension between Eve and Mark because Mark is refusing sex and withholding sex because he's been through this traumatic thing but that's not the... She doesn't know the situation that he's in. Right. She, does, she just
0: knows something's wrong.
1: That's not the story she's telling herself. Yes. Her The story she's telling herself is, my husband is rejecting me. Perhaps he is no longer attracted to me. Perhaps there's something going on in our relationship that he is afraid to tell me. And this... I've put... My literal eggs in his basket. We have made a child together and
0: resentment is building up on both sides.
1: Right. And and I think she is extremely patient with it right up until She can't be. She can't be. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's like a growing issue between them that I think like in the following issue, Mark and Eve are put into the position of like saying their goodbyes and informing their family that it, they're leaving they're leaving Earth and They find all of the sudden the the people in their lives have words of wisdom, have um, words of gratitude that they want to express knowing that they might not see each other again for a long time that I think like both of them gain a lot of perspective that helps them get over this really traumatic hump in their relationship.
0: Yeah, and I love how this issue is structured. Mm -hmm. Uh, How we start at the Black Cat comic book shop, and Mark is picking up his long overdue box and telling him, you know, it, it might be a while before I come back again. And it's, you know, it's a, a meta moment, not a meta emotion moment, but <laughs> it is Robert Kirkman talking to the audience saying, like, something is about to change in this series, and I know that's scary. It might not be the series it once was, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be exciting and fresh in, its, in, in a new way. Yeah. So he's reassuring the audience inside the comic book shop saying, just... Just come with us. We're going to leave Earth for a bit, but it's going to be worth it.
1: I do like also uh, the hypocrisy of the comic book store owner, (laughs) who's like, books like Science Dog, these corporate comics, they're (laughs) trash, and I hate them, and yet- I've been reading all of the issues. Of Safe. The only reason Mark's box is still open yeah. is because the the store owner has been reading those issues. Yeah,
0: yeah, and for himself. And yeah. really,
1: emo- clearly emotionally investing yeah. in the story it's and keeping so track of the storyline. So I do think like a lot of us are processing a lot of meta-emotions about our relationship with comics, going like, we know that comics don't make sense, and we know that choices in the stakes in comics are different and and some of the choices are childish or or clear marketing or whatever. And I'm ashamed of that and I'm ashamed that I'm ashamed of that. And I also, but I also just really love comics, okay?
0: (laughs) It's a meta moment. It's a meta emotion moment. I love it. What do you make of the very next scene where Mark is hovering over Amber, his ex-girlfriend, and observing her with her new boyfriend? And he's got this little... Smile on his face before he floats away.
1: I think that it's really nice to know that the people who are important to you in your life, even though they're not in your life anymore, it's good to know that they're okay, that they're happy and taken care of. What do you? How would
0: how would Eve interpret this scene?
1: Um, I hope. Like if. Eve is in a love tank full, emotionally mature place. Like hopefully she'd be happy for Amber too. Amber was never a bad person. I don't
0: know. Like I <laughs> here here comes jealous Brad, but mm-hmm. I think about if I found you in one of your last things you did on this planet before you left just to check in with your ex, make sure she's in a good place before I bounce. I don't know. Uh before you bounce. Uh I don't know if my love tank's full.
1: Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, I. she was also in circles with Amber. I, I think that she would be pretty understanding.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, maybe,
1: but maybe her love tank uh, is low. Maybe she'd interpret that of, oh, we haven't had sex because he's pining for Amber, maybe? But, but I
0: also feel like, I don't know, he's checking in on Amber, she's doing good, she'll be fine on this hellscape of a planet that's being controlled by Rex, Adios. <laughs> like, I, I don't think, know, it's, it's a weird scene.
1: I think also because he's about to leave Earth, the only planet he's ever lived on, well, that's not true because he was um, stuck on another planet for a while, but I wouldn't. Call, I don't think he'd call that living, okay. right? <laughs> I, I think that he's feeling nostalgic, and when you feel nostalgic, you think about your past. I, 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 I think it's totally fine, and I think it emotionally opens him up in the next scene. Like, he comes off, he has this really... Warm moment with his ex-girlfriend.
0: Well, I mean, he doesn't have it with her. I mean,
1: uh, around. <laughs> yeah, <involving. above. laughs> He has this really warm moment. Um, <laughs> he's
0: feeling good about himself.
1: And uh, then he uh, sees this kind of metahuman monster guy. Yeah. What would you call him? Uh,
0: he's a robot. Like, he looks like... Uh, Oh, what's that creature from Thor? Yeah, uh, yeah. The Destroyer. Mm-hmm. He kind of looks like the Destroyer. Big time. And he's going to go rescue some people. Well, he does rescue some people from this Destroyer-like creature, but robots drones have got this.
1: But I think, like, as he as he is rescuing the kid and his mom, he leaves the bag of comics with yeah. the kid. And, like, and I think that that's just, like, a moment of openness. Like, hey... My love tank just got a little top up. Let me do this act of generosity and let this kid touch my comic books. Yeah,
0: but then that kid, touch, that kid touches those comic books and he says, comics are lame. Yeah, <laughs> Mark's I know. response is like, you're lame. Enjoy the stairs. But so his love tank shrinks pretty yeah, quickly. Well,
1: before that happens, Rex pops yeah, up and yeah. goes like, hey, you know, I can't believe that you... Handled the situation before my robots did. That's really wild, and um, Rex Rex tries to go in and go like, "Hey, you gotta admit things are running pretty smoothly," <laughs> and um, like, well, and, it
0: just really chaps Mark's hide. Yeah,
1: and Mark gets really angry. Like, you know that I'm never going to acquiesce to your dictatorship. And Rex goes, like, oh, well, you know, that bothers me, but as long as you don't interfere, I mean, I guess that's fine. And then, and then that um, moment of, and then um, we also have after, like, oh, yeah, okay. Dr.
0: Sinclair. Yeah,
1: I'm getting like ahead of myself. No, no, do it, do it, but, do it. So, I just
0: knocked over a giant stack of comics. Let's go.
1: So Rex then pokes a huge, gouges a huge hole in Mark's love tank, and his feeling of goodwill and kindness is, Instantly drained from him. Deflated.
0: He takes it out on that kid and her mom, leaving him uh, up on the roof without uh, exactly. Where I
1: feel like if he had just like saved the kid, took care of the baddie, popped back up, and the kid was like, "Comics are lame." I think that he would have taken it a lot better if he had not just probably just been um, irritated.
0: But he doesn't have like a chance to even you know uh, think about the bad thing he just did to that kid and his mom because then D. A. Sinclair pops up through a portal and says like we're ready we're ready to like attack robot from within. He's forming a little civil war amongst the the under the Pentagon.
1: I think this under this also highlights another huge source of guilt for Mark where he knows that if he was to help overthrow Rex, he would be a valuable asset. Everyone wants him to fight. D.A. Sinclair wants him to fight, Immortal wants him to fight, Multicate wants him to fight, he- Replicate. And, replicate, whatever, <laughs> Multicate, <laughs> that's not a word. <laughs> um, but like they all want to use him for the tremendous resource that he is, and he's taking, he's taking that away from them. And I think that um, he knows that they're upset with him And that makes him feel ashamed, you know? And it makes him feel like- uh, Lesser. It
0: makes him feel less than. Yeah. In this issue, I think the last three goodbyes are the most important. Mm -hmm. The goodbye that Mark has with Nolan, the goodbye that Eve has with her parents, and the final goodbye that Mark has with his mom, Debbie. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were talking about how Nolan is really trying to become a better person, and, and just, a better
0: ruler of his Viltrum people. That's right.
1: And a better dad, and even though he has that intention, it's not anybody's duty to like go like, "Okay, then I have to forgive you." If you are if you are 100% great person starting today, that doesn't mean that I have to forgive you. But I think that we get the warmest goodbye between Mark and Nolan that we possibly can, and it starts with Nolan trying to apologize for selling out Mark's principles and what they felt like they had agreed upon in that last battle. And he goes like, hey, Mark, I understand that you feel like I betrayed you. And Mark is like, well, don't worry about it, Dad. I'm pretty used to being betrayed by you, (laughs) right? And um, what Nolan says is, uh, okay, that hurt. That hurt me. You hurt my feelings by saying that. Not in an accusatory way, but in just a- stating a fact. Just stating a fact. He's putting his emotions out there.
0: That's something that we've talked about in the past, where it's sometimes good to just name the emotion that you're feeling to your partner- Oh, yeah. In a emotionless way, like, you know, hey, Lisa, uh, I'm a little bad by what you just said.
1: Yeah, yeah, or it's saying something like having like a code word, like, hey, I've just had a pop-up.
0: Yeah, pop-up, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and then Mark continues and says like, hey- This is progress. You clearly have feelings. Maybe (laughs) in the future, you'll not do the thing that you are eventually going to regret later. And Nolan is like, hey, you know, trying to reset the scene. Like, we're trying to have a nice goodbye. And Mark says like, I'm sorry. I know this is pretty much goodbye. And I don't like to leave things like this either. I know why you did what you did. I don't like it, but I understand it. And that'll just have to be good enough. And, like, I think that um, because, like, this is not the kind of goodbye that he would have gotten from his father before he knew that his father was a supervillain or superpowered at all. Because it would not be on a table of complete honesty. Mm. Where I feel like Nolan is really in a place of, I'm not going to lie to my son anymore. I don't know if he'll be able to uphold that. But, like, I really do feel like Nolan is being vulnerable and putting his cards on the table. And I think that Mark is playing ball a little bit. Okay. I think that Mark is saying, like, hey, this I'm putting a pin in this conversation.
0: Real quick, Lisa. Yeah. As someone who does not know how Invincible ends. I don't. Will Omni-Man betray Mark again? At least once. Okay.
1: At least once. Okay.
0: We shall see. We shall see.
1: Oh, man. I'm going to be heartbroken, though.
0: When he betrays him? Yeah. If he betrays him?
1: I I was like, hey, radical forgiveness, Hulk. You know, once a genocider, never a genocider again. (laughs) That's what I say. I believe the best in people.
0: All right. Well, boy, it's hard not to say anymore. Please don't. Let's get to the next goodbye. It's so unfair
1: that you know how this is going to go.
0: (laughs) You know I love holding it over your head, too. Yeah,
1: yeah. So then we get the goodbye of Eve with her parents, and her mom is handling it pretty typically for what we know about her, where she's going, you're leaving the planet? Is it something that I did? Is it something that I said? Why are you withholding yourself from me? Right. Like, just toxicity, toxicity, toxicity. And
0: the dad is launching into one of his typical rant, typical rants, but by the third panel, he's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and Eve doesn't know how to deal with him being so... Um, not dad like
1: yeah so essentially what dad says if you like comb out all of the snarls of his terrible personality he's saying like <laughs> i was insufferable because i was scared yeah. i was constantly worried about you i wanted you to find someone who would protect you with all of the fervor with all of the you know with all of the structure and enthusiasm that i have protected you as your father and, you know, I and know now you've you, done it. And Well, he says, well, like, and I thought Mark would ha- was going to be that person, that person to protect you. But now what I have realized is that you do not need protecting. Yeah. I'm yeah. not worried about you anymore.
0: And he ends with we love you. Yeah. And it's extremely moving. You start that rant and you're like, oh, this guy, the worst. And by the third panel, I'm teared up.
1: But yeah, but like the turn of that conversation was him saying like. I was worried about you. Like he stated like the emotion. Fear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was afraid. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think it's really, really beautiful. And
0: that is kind of the root of everything we, we are talking about with this arc. You've got to state what you're feeling to the people around you, the people that you love. Mm-hmm. And so he did that for Eve. Eve needs to do that for Mark, Mark needs to do that for Eve.
1: Yeah. So finally we get the scene between Mark and his mom, Debbie. And to me, this is her kind of taking what she's learned from her marital relationship with Nolan and putting it in one package that so that Mark can take that with him and apply it in his relationship with Eve. And she she's she starts by kind of apologizing for marrying someone like Nolan. Well she
0: uh, has her own guilt
1: yeah she goes like I was never going to fall in love with someone who was normal like I was not I was not bound for like a normal life I I was this wild child I was a wild person and um I never knew how much excitement I si- signed up for when I married your dad um but like and, and and Mark goes like, well, even after everything you've been through are you happy now and she says like now. I've never been happier. And she goes on to say like, what I, what she thinks love is, is love is learning all of the terrible things about a person close to you and learning to look past them so you can clearly see the person you liked in the first place.
0: Yeah, and I think Mark really takes this to heart. Right. And this will be the thing that is in the back of his mind when he finally talks to Eve about what happened between him and Anissa.
1: Yeah, I think, cause at first he replies like, I don't have anything I hate about Eve yet. But it's later he goes like, oh, I have something I hate about myself. Right, yeah. That I I am this victim or I am this, you know, well, I guess we'll get-
0: get, We'll get into it. Into it later. But he
1: has a lot of complicated emotions that he's been hiding as his ugly parts.
0: So the issue finally ends with Mark, Eve, and the little one aboard a starship heading toward Alan the alien's place. Mm -hmm. And he is going to start a new life under Alan's uh, jurisdiction, doing whatever Alan needs done, but not anything too violent. Right. right? Uh, That's Battle Beast's job, not Mark's job, hopefully. Uh, And then we get that last page, which is a really beautiful last page.
1: Right, so they're in this nostalgic place. They're leaving Earth behind, and in the glow of the, you know, in the sun bouncing (laughs) off the water blue planet of Earth. I'm trying to be poetic, but I'm, like, failing. But um, uh, she decides, she suggests the name Terra for the baby, saying that Terra is their little piece of Earth, which I love that name, I think it's really beautiful. And Mark loves it too.
0: The first issue on Telescria, this insane alien planet, is an absolute blast. Mm -hmm. It's so much fun. Oliver is there. Oliver has a new girlfriend, Haluma. Haluma looks a lot like Oliver's mom. She's a big bug creature.
1: Right, and- um, Check I th- out
0: those mandibles, Lisa.
1: <laughs> Ooh, so big. Yeah, uh, and uh, clearly uh, Eve and Mark have reservations, <laughs> but they do not want to be uh, prejudicial. <laughs> and so I think that um, there is like this really wonderful subplot about the relationship of Mark and Eve to Haluma specifically that relates directly to the chapter I was talking about in Permission to Feel about like our emotions bias us even when we're trying to not be biased mm-hmm. that I don't know if I can cover in this episode because there's so much meat here, but I might just sneak it into the next episode. Uh, I won't be able to resist. Yeah.
0: But speaking of meat, (laughs) Paluma is quite the cook and she has created this massive feast for Mark and Eve and Tara, but it is a very alien feast. It's all these like squishy, slimy tentacled things. They, you know, it's, they, they don't necessarily want to dive in, but once Out of politeness, Mark digs into this meal. He loves it. Mm -hmm. It tastes so good. Unfortunately, it doesn't really go too well with the human digestive tract. And Mark finds himself on this toilet, blasting his butthole out.
1: Yeah, and he is having such strife. (laughs) that the infant is becoming alarmed. And Eve knocks on the door and is like, hey, is everything going okay in there? And he's like, it's, it's going, you know, I'm, I'm fine. But then when it's time to flush, he discovers
0: It won't go down. It
1: won't go down. We've
0: all been there, Lisa. Uh, We've all been there. Unfortunately, on Earth, we don't have blender toilets like they do here. It
1: sounds like such a dream, actually. (laughs) Like, why don't we have that? How
0: much fun do you think Ryan Otley was having illustrating Mark's, like, uh... What's that? What would you call that face? That push face. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't... <laughs> That straining expression. Yeah, just like,
1: oh, ugh, it's awful. Bravo.
0: I love the awe that washes over Eve as she realizes that this toilet has a blender and she got it and that, and that it got all of Mark's stuff down.
1: Yeah, I like when she first walks in, he's like, please, please, God, don't come in. And she does act horrified and disgusted by what's in the toilet. And he's so embarrassed by the whole thing. And, you know, like he's covering up his face and he's clearly like extremely uncomfortable. And he states out loud once she figures out the whole blender situation, like, I don't know how you're ever going to look at me Sexually ever again, like this is
0: actually a really crucial scene.
1: One hundred percent, their emotional
0: development. That's
1: what I'm saying. And
0: all married couples have had this scene. Yeah, not to get into specifics, folks, but we've had this scene (laughs) in the love nest.
1: Yeah, not in the love
0: nest, adjacent to the love nest in a bathroom without a blender.
1: She's the she initially actually is the person who who makes the joke like I don't think I'll ever be able to look at you the same way again. But he's like clearly not in the place where he can hear he can joke about that thing. And she realizes that she's made himself conscious and she says, "You and me are in this for the long haul, Mark Grayson." That didn't even phase me. Right? And I think this reminds Mark of the conversation he had with his mother of like hey, when you're in a relationship with someone else, you, the ugliness, the grossness, the disgustingness, the humanness is just part of the equation. It's just part of the thing that makes you the person who is, who is to be loved and who loves others.
0: And it leads immediately into a romantic embrace. They start kissing, they start making out. Mark push, pushes her against the glass of their apartment, But then that triggers the memory of what happened between him and Anissa.
1: And he immediately starts crying. And uh, Eve asks, like, now I'm really scared. Yeah, Like, before I was concerned, now I'm really scared. What is going on? And he finally tells her what Anissa did to him and some of the related shame emotions because he feels like he perhaps should have fought harder, he should have somehow, like, he's responsible for not stopping the situation. And um, the way he explains it is, is this. Um, it feels like my fault, like I let it happen. and um, Because of
0: that biological need, right? Like, you right. got erect.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, like, that, confu- that yeah. biological confusion of, I need to be emotionally invested somehow to become aroused, which is like 100% not the case. But, you know, this is new information for Eve and she begins crying and she actually stands up and leaves the room, which is, which... It's like When I first ra- read this scene, I didn't really clock that. Like, uh. I just kind of clocked it as, you know, like, she's going to check on the baby. She's coming right back. But Mark... Goes like that, that her walking away in that moment was a statement and he yeah. brings it up later. And,
0: you know, this conversation is interrupted by the allergic reaction that Tara has to Haluma's cooking.
1: Right, right. Um, they find the most horrifying thing, which is they find their baby not breathing.
0: Lisa, can I show you something real quick? Not to like go to a very... uh A moment of levity here.
1: I feel like I'm giving our listeners some real Foley art because I'm working with the actual comic and it's right underneath my microphone. So if
0: you go to the back of the trade paperback Mm -hmm. to the sketches that Ryan Otley did uh, on page 139, it shows the first iteration of the dead baby (laughs) or of the the sickly baby Uh that Ryan Otley illustrated for Kirkman. So... Here, just look at the top there.
1: Oh, Jesus!
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Ryan writes next to this sketch, So this panel is how the issue ends. Poor Eve found her daughter presumably dead. In the script, Robert said to make the baby look dead. He didn't like this for some reason and made me redo it. I don't know why. And the version of the sick baby that Otley has included in the sketches in the back of the trade paperback is like a skull corpse baby. Yeah,
1: no, it's really, it's horrendous.
0: (laughs) So, uh, yeah, uh, the, the final product doesn't show the skull, skull corpse. It just shows a lifeless
1: child. Yeah. So, um, this emergency with Tara kind of represents the things about leaving earth Mark hadn't considered because he was so hyper-focused. The dangers of it. Yeah, he was so hyper-focused on the things that he was scared of. He was scared of getting wrapped up in the situation with Rex. He was scared of facing Anissa again. He was scared of having to tell his wife and his father what happened to him, um, that he missed something that was completely obvious. And that is like, hey, when you take a baby, or you take it like an earthling to another planet, there might be some uh, hurdles you gotta get over. They, like, how do we know your baby is going to have diapers? How do we know that your baby is going to have something safe to eat? Like, these are the things because he was so emotionally charged in one direction, he was blind to a whole other set of dangers. A
0: superhuman thing to do uh, and a very Brad thing to do when you get scared, when Mark gets scared, he falls into rage mode, he lets anger take over, he gets very heated with the doctor mm-hmm. when he doesn't like the doctor's answers. Well, the he doctor
1: gets... says that well, uh, we can't really treat your baby because she's a Viltrumite yeah. and that would be unethical.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, let's not, I, I, I see what you're saying. But he goes to anger and then with Haluma, he also rages out against her because her cooking is responsible. Yeah. And I love that Huluma's like, no, I'm not taking this. This, You have not been thinking about this properly. He and Huluma's the one who delivers all the information that that you just said. This is the stuff you you have not considered. Right. And when Mark walks away from Huluma, Huluma turns to Oliver and says, like, your brother is a jerk. Right. And she's not wrong.
1: She he is a jerk in that situation. I wonder if that jerk Preconception is going to carry on through their relationship.
0: Haluma and Mark. Yeah. We shall see. And even the
1: relationship between Haluma and Eve.
0: And also then the relationship between Mark and Oliver. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. When you don't get along with your partner or with your uh, sibling's spouse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Rough. Really rough. Awkwardness. So, but ultimately. Tara is fine. She did have an allergic reaction, which I thought was a pretty cool allergic reaction. She ate a plant that has so much oxygen in it that she didn't need to breathe, which I was like, ooh, that sounds handy. That <laughs> sounds like something out of like Super Mario Brothers or something. Like you eat this plant and then you can swim for a long, long time.
0: Yeah, wow. I would, I, maybe it'll come up again. We'll see.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I hope so.
0: Besides Terra surviving, maybe the most important moment of this issue is the conversation that Mark has with Alan the Alien, Mm -hmm. who is now the leader of the Coalition of Planets, and he is struggling with all the threats that are out there, including Throg. He's been monitoring the battle between Throg and Battle Beast, and it's not... Going so well. He's really worried that his agent, Battle Beast, is going to fall to Throg. And yes, he has told Mark that he won't have to do anything violent for him, but maybe he could help in this one time. Maybe you can get in the game because things are not looking so good.
1: Right. And I hate to bring up, I don't want to make Dr. Brackett jealous that I'm bringing up another love expert of ours in his session, but... Mark is a great big obliger. So if we go back to our episodes about Gretchen Rubin and the Four Tendencies.
0: Paired with the Fantastic Four, Sue and Reed.
1: An obliger is a person who will uphold the expectations of other people over his expectations for himself. So he has put up a boundary. He said, Alan, I am not going to work for you. You're not going to use my Viltrumite powers to put me in danger, I'm a father now. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get killed and deny my child a father. I don't want, God forbid my my wife to get hurt, my child to get hurt. I am here just as a safe haven. I'm essentially going into superhuman retirement. But Alan goes is perhaps a questioner. We don't I don't know him well enough, but he goes like, yeah, but like what's danger to you? <laughs> You're a viltramite. And guess what? I need you. And so to an obliger, do we, they're always going to be compelled by the idea of doing something for someone else. He finds the idea of being the hero again for his friend Alan extremely tempting.
0: And he seals the deal. Alan seals the deal with a hearty bowl of canslock, Lisa. Right.
1: So he sees this canslock and he's just had this huge you know, <laughs> incident. Bowel he had this huge incident of eating alien food. <laughs> And he knows that it compromises his system, but he he takes the can slack and eats it and he goes, Oh, it's so delicious. Like so that's like <laughs> it's like a metaphor for the temptation he feels to be to be a superpowered hero again. Uh, um, I
0: know that Ryan Otley is super proud of his design of the Canslock.
1: They're so cute.
0: And you it's undeniable, right? Like yeah. the, the that panel where Marcus and we were like, "No, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't." And we see the extreme close-up on the canslocks' faces and their pure terror terror expressions. Mm-hmm. Oh god, I mean.
1: Yeah, it's showing that like <laughs> Even with his hard and fast, like, what he thinks of as hard and fast boundaries, he is making concessions already, and he's only just got to the the planet. So what he agrees to is... Not a
0: vegan, that mark. (laughs)
1: Um, What he agrees to is that he will be a spy, essentially. He'll be a space spy, and he won't be putting himself in too much danger. It's kind of like... He's getting to eat his superhero cake and have it too. Or, or his- uh, Canned Whatever, yeah.
0: <laughs> now that evening, they have a very chill, relaxing time. They have dinner together. They put the child to bed. Mark just wants to read from his iPad. And then Eve initiates the conversation that got interrupted when Tara went into that allergic shock.
1: I think Eve's timing is pretty great, all things considered. Where, like, they don't have any more emergencies on their plate. And I think that um, she can tell, like, I think that at this point in time, Mark is at peace with the decision that he made to work, to, to do some light spy work for Alan. And I think that she waited until the baby was in bed and all was quiet. I think that that is a really good time to, okay, process this conversation that happening at some other time could have been really heated and uncomfortable. Like, one of the hardest things about processing emotions is finding the time for it. Like, emotions can feel so inconvenient sometimes. It
0: it sort of reminds me, though, of earlier in the issue when Mark processes all the things that he wants to say to Eve about leaving the planet and then just unloads right, on her. Right, right, because and so she's had time to do the same thing about the Anissa situation.
1: But it, but she she picks up exactly where they left off mm. where like um so the like so it's not like the Mark situation where Mark has been processing like I know that for she, days, like yeah. he's been processing
0: it for days. And, and he's
1: come to a and decision. And building a case,
0: like he'd been building a case over those f- several days in those first few issues of this arc.
1: Right, and all that she's doing is reporting the emotions that now she has, she's had since the last time they really got to talk about this. Like, I know, maybe I'm being hypocritical, but like, I feel like, there are shades of difference between this and that, perhaps.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. I think you're right, but I just also wanted to acknowledge the similarities. Yeah, right. yeah.
1: Um, so, uh, so uh, she opens the conversation with a question, which is, "Why do you blame yourself for what Anissa did to you?" And he said, he repeats what he had said before, where he says, "I feel like I didn't fight fight back enough. I should have fought back harder." And she goes, like, that's bullshit. And she takes that guilt off of his plate. And she says, like, just, uh, you think that some part of you wanted what happened to you? Like, that's impossible. That's bullshit. And he says, well, you seemed mad at me. So,
0: you walked away. You
1: walked away from me. So that's when it alerted me. He's got
0: his evidence. (laughs) Right, right.
1: That he's been building a case of why he is a bad person and why what he feared. It's true that if he told Eve what happened she would bl- like she would maybe blow up the relationship over it yeah
0: that's what relationships are when you're not communicating everyone is still writing the story exactly <laughs> right?
1: battle right. beast and throg are still fighting yes it doesn't matter what else you're doing yes the world is still continuing so um she apologizes for walking away she she first defends herself she's like i was still processing but um I But I understand that that didn't seem like I was like there for you, and I apologize. But I've had a lot of time to think about it, and I don't think that this was at all your fault.
0: Not and, one single thing was your fault.
1: And you can't blame yourself. And we'll work through this. And she ends the conversation with, I love you. And he says, I love you, too. And we get a
0: little intimate contact, hand on hand. We think by the end of that page, maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe they'll finally be able to consummate uh, their love on this new planet. But then, knock knock at the no, door. Uh,
1: no, no, he turns her down one more time. So they're kissing, and then he says, "I dot dash dash." Yeah. And she says, "It's okay." So now we've seen this scene play out before, where he has withheld. Mm. And she hasn't understood. You're right.
0: I misread that. I misread that.
1: And I think that this is, like, progress. And look at his face in that last panel as the knock is happening. It's, like, grateful. Yeah. he, 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 he He likes to know that all of the emotions are on the table. Like, he knows... Like he knows that she is okay with his secret,
0: but this is an invincible comic. So anytime anyone finds a it's second any comic. Of come on.
1: Well, yeah, 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 <laughs>
0: but more so in an invincible comic. Right. Uh, knock at the door. It's Alan the Alien. Bad news. The battle with Battle Beast is not going well, and we need your help immediately.
1: And he's like, "This kind of falls." So in the next issue, he's like, "This kind of falls under the umbrella of our agreement <laughs> because, yeah, you're you're fighting, but Throg is ch- compromised. He's never going to be weaker than he is right now, right?" Yeah, so
0: you can you can get some cheap shots in.
1: Yeah. Oh man, Battle
0: I, Beast. I man. love this
1: freaking. Uh, Splash page though. Yeah,
0: where Throg is like busting Battle Beast's spleen.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's just has like, he's wearing his uh, intestines like a bangle. I
0: never thought Battle Beast was going to win this fight. Right. And I guess I was also anticipating Battle Beast dying in this fight, Mm -hmm. but still watching it. And then I don't want to jump to the very last page of this book, but the last page of this book is so callous. With Throg wearing the skin of Battle Beast like a cape. hmm I was not prepared for that image.
1: It's real well, Throg is a bad, bad person. Throg's a bad real, person. Real real bad dude. <laughs> but by the time Oliver and Mark get there, like Battle Beast has already been cremated. Decimated. Yeah. And Throg has left.
0: Yeah. uh uh uh, uh. So Mark goes back to Eve it's like, well, you know, didn't really work out like uh, Alan was hoping, but uh, onward and upward.
1: Right. And so, but he has at least got to put on his hero suit. For for a few moments, I hate
0: the design of the Coalition of Planets hero suits. Oh, because you don't
1: like that? It's a take on the uh, next gen. No, 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 not
0: those suits. Mark and Oliver's suits, not not the next generation crew, but the the actual cape suits that Mark and Oliver wear. But it still has
1: that kind of like across the chest and the colors.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, oh, I And a little
1: communicator.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't like it. Uh, yeah, like that,
1: it. you're entitled to not like it. Express but your the
0: feelings. crew on that ship is the next gen crew. Yeah, we can 100. see Data and Picard, Beverly, Worf. There's even a version of Voyagers, the Doctor. Right. And I think that's Bashir in the far background. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't place any bets on it. How fun. Yeah, and then Pulaski. So it has both Beverly Crusher and Pulaski. You can never have too many
1: doctors. You know, I
0: love naming next-gen characters. Who
1: doesn't? Oh, me. I'm not a fan of next-gen. I am a DS9 girl. (laughs) She's a niner. So Mark comes home after a long day at work. He knows that Throg is missing, and he knows that he has been on Thraxon just making olivers, and Eve is like, how many olivers do you think that he made? And... And uh, Mark is like, we have no idea. But I do think that Mark is comforted by the idea of having something to do next, you know? And he goes like... Gotta keep busy. Yeah, it's so important that we find him, right? Um, So I think he's like back on that treadmill of being a superhero. He's just not 100% aware of it yet. And um, she... Once again, go starts to initiate sex, but she goes like, "I understand if you're not ready," and he says, "I'm willing to try." And so I think it goes okay. We do like we they, see
0: postcoital, I believe. I don't we,
1: know. She's like
0: they're still fully clothed. Yeah, yeah. You can
1: never tell in American prudish comics, but um, <laughs> this is not saga. <laughs> it's
0: not saga. Um,
1: but then um, the next morning, I think Mark's love tank has been filled somewhat he's in this really open place and he goes and he wakes up before eve and for the first time he has a little daddy daughter time with tara and they have a really great morning together the
0: splash page of the close-up of tara is really incredible Mm -hmm. and ryan otley deserves a big bravo for achieving it uh, when you put that in contrast with the Throg crushing Battle Beast's spleen, it just shows that Otley can do it all.
1: Yeah, yeah. So and then you
0: get like the, what is that, 12 panel grid? Uh, 16. 16 panel grid of Mark and Tara just having that daughter uh, dad time.
1: And what Mark, so it ends with Mark making a promise to Tara and his promise that is that I'll always be here for you. I'm going to be the dad who when you go out drinking with your friends and you stumble home, I'll be upset with you. I'll be disappointed, but you can always be honest with me. You know, I'll scold the hell out of you because it's my job, but deep down inside I'm always going to be happy to see you.
0: So the issue ends with Mark and Eve feeling pretty darn good about their new place in life, living on this alien planet, having some family time. Uh, But also Kirkman does remind them and the reader that you're not on Earth. You are on a very strange planet. Things are not going to go the way that you think that they're going to go. They see a little young alien girl crying out for her katha trapped in a tree and marches things like oh look it's you know a kitten in a tree let me go rescue this thing he rescues it and then the little girl dives into it with her teeth and just rips the katha's head clear off so yeah they still don't <laughs> know what exactly is going on on this planet and they should be aware that they don't know
1: things they say um our time on here so far, even with all of the bumps on the road, we're always going to remember these days. We're always going to remember our first months with our child, being new parents. And we should, no matter how it turns out, we should savor this time. Um, which I think is a really good message, but it really is, I mean, they're... I hope they're prepared for some real serious suck.
0: Well, yeah, because the last two pages are the baby armada. Uh, yeah. Throg has created an army out of the Thraxan people, and he is wearing battle beasts like a cape. And things are not going to go so swell from here, Lisa.
1: And unfortunately, we have to end it here. This is this is our time is up with Mark and Eve for this session, and I think it's time to reflect on what we have learned thus far about Mark and Eve's relationship, what we've learned from Dr. Brackett and thinking of emotions and feelings and and everything we've talked about.
0: I'm so thankful to Robert Kirkman for suggesting that we start these sessions with Mark and Eve as parents, Mm -hmm. because this arc, the Modern Family trade paperback, is such a monumental, moment in their relationship. It really is the start in a lot of ways. Uh, They found a way to communicate about the things that terrify them the most. Mm -hmm. And I think that is more than admirable. I think it is something that we should all aspire to in our relationships.
1: I know that so much emphasis about romance is put on, like, the getting together, and the will they, won't they, and that's so much drama, you know? Like, it could all blow up in their faces, but, like, you know, having been through dating and, and meeting people and all like, wouldn't you agree that everything after us getting married or uh, us committing to each other has been the good stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh yeah. I like, I think we're at the height of our relationship right now. Oh no,
1: it's all downhill from here.
0: <laughs> well, uh, maybe maybe uh, uh, like, well, we're on the upswing. We're on the climb upwards. Um, I, I like I, I the person I see today across from me at this podcast table is not the person that I saw even when we started this podcast and certainly not when we started dating or even when we got married. um, I go back to what Robert Kirkman said about his relationship with his wife and how you have to look at it as a comet with a long tail. And you are different versions of yourself along that comet's tail. Mm -hmm. And you have to keep re-upping and recognizing the new person in front of you. And to do that, you have to re up and recognize the new person that you are, right? We're always changing.
1: Yeah. Like, literally,
0: we've talked about this before (laughs) in the case of Swamp Thing. Like, our cells are not the same cells that they were seven years ago. We're new beings every seven years.
1: Right, right. How about um, what we've talked about with Dr. Brackett and and emotions?
0: Well, the thing that I really jumped on, and I jumped on it immediately, was the Mm meta-emotions concept. I think that is fabulous. We talked about it a little bit here, but I hope we carry that... Forward into these sessions with Mark and Eve. I think that is something that I could easily apply to myself. It would be interesting, you know, when I am feeling a negative emotion in any way, trying to stop and analyze is that emotion the core emotion or is that the meta emotion? Right, right. Uh, So I think that's going to be a really handy tool and I'm going to fold that into my, you know, vocabulary.
1: I feel that too, like that idea of like, man, I could take a lot off my plate emotionally if I could just kind of do away with the meta emotions. And I don't think that that's necessarily what Dr. Brackett is saying, but just getting rid of some of the guilt of like, oh, I'm angry, and now I'm also guilty about feeling angry.
0: (laughs) Well, just recognizing it. Recognizing it as an effect. Having a name for it. Having Having a name name for it. it. That feels
1: so good. Like, when I was reading Permission to Feel, I found myself actually getting a little bit frustrated because I feel like, well, I'm constantly giving myself permission to feel. You know, like, I'm feeling all of the time. I have all of these emotions, and I'm trying to address them as they come up. But sometimes they still, you know, do ruin my day. Like some, like I feel like we we've talked about like this with how to be sad as well. Of like you're entitled to your emotions, right? And and um, you can't blame yourself for having emotions. And I'm like, good, I'm on board with that. Now what? Like, um, I I sometimes like the most frustrating thing about being in an argument with you Brad or anybody but I'm I'm only married to Brad is like the amount of time and energy it can take sometimes mm. where um, like you know you can have a small annoyance or irritation but then you the go to process
0: it s- it can take a whole day yeah
1: and and then you find like oh I'm just scratching an itch and it's just and I'm I guess we're going all the way down to the bone today we're just going to keep scratching and scratching and scratching and um like I'm really looking forward to getting in touch with what the next step is, you know what I mean, and getting into the ruler method of like, okay now now I have these emotions, how do I make them a manageable size? you know like i like um.
0: You're you're trying to get to a place where um, I'm
1: feeling the emotion, and I'm not inconveniencing myself and others with my emotions. Good luck. I don't. I, I don't, I don't know. know
0: if that's that's an end goal. I I think you know sometimes these arguments, these frustrations that you experience in a relationship, do take time to process, and you just have to give up yourself to the time that it takes the important thing is that you are trying to process and communicate right right and it's just going to take as long as it's going to take you know yeah like just because mark and eve have addressed the anissa situation doesn't mean that the anissa situation is solved right and that that trauma goes away um, but they are now both aware of it, or and they're now aware that the other person is aware of it, and so right. a trust can build there, yeah. right? And the communication can continue. You know, if I was in Mark's place, I would recommend going and finding a real person to talk right. to. That's not just your loved one. That's not just a friend. Finding a professional. Yeah, I, I think that. Would really benefit Mark.
1: I, I think yeah, but I one hundred percent. But I I'm thinking like in terms of like those everyday annoyances. Yeah yeah you know? yeah yeah. Um,
0: They're gonna take as long as they take though. But
1: Brad, there's a whole second section of right. this book. We'll see. Like Brad we'll see. is like, okay, I've been given the permission to feel, and I don't need <laughs> to I'm read done. the other. I'm done. I I'm f- got
0: I got meta emotions out of this. <laughs> Let's wrap it up.
1: Um, I like, you know, it, like sometimes it can feel like. I'm reading self-help book after self-help book after self-help book, and I'm not getting any better. And what if I'm getting worse? you know And so so like, to me, I, I, like, I understand that uh, like what Dr. Brackett is trying to do with ruler, with um, permission to feel is change our culture around emotions so that we can all feel safer to have them. But, like, as a person who goes, like, okay, I'm on board with permission to feel, um, reading 72 pages of, you know, like, maybe if I wasn't reading it for a podcast, maybe I would just, like, skip to the, like, life hack me now. But maybe that's the wrong attitude. I just have to trust the process. (laughs) Uh,
0: You know, if there was one book that you could read and then just everything was hunky-dory afterwards, Uh, we would all know what that book was. Right, right? of course, of course. Uh, Like To me, what's so great about this podcast and the conversations that we have is that they continue and force us to have the conversations that we're having, right? Like, that's the point.
1: Yeah, and I think also, as you read a self-help book, you read it, you take what you want from it, and then you slowly watch what you've learned fall away mm. and this is something i see as a teacher a lot um like one thing i have a hard time teaching as a music teacher is like the function of chords and i find myself teaching and reteaching and reteaching the function of chords to my students at the different phases of their sure. you know learning process and it's all and and Every time I bring it up, it's like the first time I've ever brought it up. Sure. Yeah. Where it's just like, okay, the one chord is major, the second chord is minor, the third chord is minor. Oh, I've never, you've never told me that before, and I'm like, I'm hundred percent have told you this before, <laughs> and I and I think that that's also like when you like when you're reading self help book and like they will contain a lot of like the same information, but perhaps that reiteration of what I have to learn about myself and have to learn about processing my emotions. I'm just going to have to hear it a thousand times.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's...
1: But I'm really, I'm putting a lot of faith in Dr. Mark Brackett and this idea of ruler, which we haven't even covered yet. But that's going to be the the, um, kind of more actionable part of what we're learning from him. And
0: we'll get to that in the next episode. What I like is that we get with each self-help book, just a little bit more vocabulary to help us better understand and explain ourselves. Right. And that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, that is going to do it for this week. It was a, a little bit of a long episode, but I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please share it with your friends and strangers. We would really appreciate it. Our next episode will be on Invincible, Volume 22, the reboot storyline. Lisa, I want you to be thinking about that conversation in the Black Cat comic book store about stories changing into something you didn't think they were going to be and just being happy with the ride that you're on mm. because maybe Invincible is not the comic you thought it was. What? Get ready for reboot.
1: Nope, I'm not gonna ready myself for it. If the next (laughs) volume upsets me, I'm gonna throw it in a river. All right. I've learned nothing. I'm not processing my emotions at all. Okay, Brad, I'm I'm actually feeling a little bit snacky. I'm wondering oh, no. if we still have some can slock in the back of the fridge. Ate it already. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
0: You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
1: I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If
0: you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Podcast.
1: You can give us the gift of five stars in Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod.
0: So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full
1: and your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy. In this episode, we're ditching Earth for the stars and we're gorging ourselves on can slop. Yum. Mm, so screamy and delicious. <laughs> As we revel in parental bliss. Sorry, no. do you want to say the yum part?
0: Uh, I, I, I I guess I did. <laughs> I don't know why. You can say it. Okay, I'll say the yum part.
1: Yeah.